This podcast is not intended to be an investigative report, and all opinions stated herein are opinions strictly from the hosts and are not affiliated with any law enforcement entity. This is a true crime podcast and may contain information that may be disturbing to some listeners. Audience discretion is advised. Welcome to Vintage Homicide, the true crime podcast being presented to you by two forensic scientists with a passion for the vintage lifestyle. We are your hosts, Ms. Ruby Wild and Ms. Mayday. We will bring you historic murders with special insight into the era and the forensics involved to look back at what crime solving may have been like. This podcast is benefiting the 501c3 Bombshell Betty's Calendar for Charity, which is a nonprofit whose mission is to raise support and awareness for veterans' charities through community involvement, photography, and pinups. Today, we are going to answer the question. What's in the barrel? <laughs> nice one, Ruby. But seriously, on a, on a serious note, this case is pretty gross. It really is, and I just had to roll with it. So we're talking today about Belikish. He was born in Hungary in 1877, and that's about all that we know about his early life. In 1905, he was living with another woman, Julia Peshedik, and... They may or may not have been married. It's very unclear. They had two children together, and then randomly, Bella just decides he doesn't want to be a father anymore, so he moves to another town called Sinkota, which is just outside of Budapest. Um, He was renting a little cottage there, and this was at about 1912. So this is the year that he met and married a woman named Marie. She was 15 years younger than him, so he's in his early, mid-30s. She That would put her at maybe 15, so normal for the time. What he didn't realize is later on in this year, Marie had taken up with another gentleman, like an artist, and he told all of his neighbors that his wife left him for another man in December of 1912. So they had been married for less than a year, and she just was gone. So Bella was known as the one of the most eligible bachelors in this wonderful town. He was... According to the time, very handsome, with his blonde hair and blue eyes. He owned and ran a tinsmith business. He loved to throw parties, so, you know, he's like the Gatsby of his time. And it was around this time, because his wife had left, that he decided to hire a housekeeper. Her name was Miss Jakubik. He used that so that way he could use the rest of his free time to start go and be a playboy in the town of Budapest. It was about a three-hour train ride, so he could come and go as often as possible. He also was known to have a revolving door of women in his life, where some people claim that they never saw the same woman on his arm more than once. So he also was a little bit, um, I'm trying to think of- Yes, eccentric. I was trying to think of the word. He was eccentric. And he started stockpiling these metal drums on his property. And the neighbors start noticing it, and they're They call the cops because they think that he's storing illegal alcohol. So the cops show up and they see these barrels on Bella's yard and they basically asked him, like, what's in the barrels? Hence the intro. And he says that he is stockpiling gasoline because he can tell by the uh, tensions that are starting that a war is going to break out. And so he's trying to prevent a gas shortage. Um, The drum was soldered shut, so the cops just took his word on it and left and believed Bella's story. So that's everything that leads up until 1914 when World War I broke out. And Miss Mayday, you want to tell us about what's happening at this time? 
1914, the First World War began, and it was centered exclusively in Europe, and it was essentially the Central Powers versus the Allied Powers. The Central Powers consisted of Germany, Austria, Hungary, Turkey, and Bulgaria, and they were fighting against um, France, Britain, Russia, Italy, Japan, and then ultimately the United States when we entered the war in 1917, which consisted of the Allied Powers. So at this time, uh, Bella being an eligible male who could have uh, potentially served in this war was most likely uh, this was going to be his fate, that he was going to be sent to uh, fight on the front. So speaking of World War I, and this is a very you know heavy subject, so we're going to try to lighten it up a little bit and kind of talk about a fun fact. So at this time, fashion was being heavily influenced by military utilitarianism. Basically what that means is that fabric that was being used was more cotton-based. The fashion lines started becoming more simple and utilitarian, things that you could kind of easily manufacture and on a large scale. And at this time, um, British officers started buying trench coats, um, and they were being developed around the mid-19th century as a functional part of their uniform. And trench coats uh, were nice and often utilized by officers because they were lighter than the normal coat that was issued by the British Army. They were water-resistant, and they were khaki-colored, so that was good for camouflage. And these coats, trench coats, were meant to keep them warm and dry while they were in the trenches. And so this coat became so popularized once Hollywood started adapting it as a standard uniform for detectives that Burberry basically started making them as a part of their normal high fashion of the day. I love finding out the origin of words, so thank you for that. Yeah, so who would have thought that a trench coat is really actually part of a military uniform? Well, thank you. So in 1914, Bella volunteered, and he went to go fight World War I. Um, he left Miss uh, Jakubic, uh, whatever, his housekeeper. He left his housekeeper in charge of the house while he was gone fighting in this war. So this is 1914. He still hadn't returned or communicated until 1916. So keep in mind, Bella had been renting this property. So the landlord is basically saying, all right, this guy's never coming home. He might have even died in World War I. So I'm going to go get the house ready so that way I can rent it out again, start making some money. The housekeeper had kept the inside of this house immaculate, but the outside had gotten overgrown. And so he had to work on clearing some of that out. As he is clearing this out, he finds some of these barrels. He gets one of the neighbors to start moving these barrels because he wants to get them off the property so that way he can rent out this house. Well, they accidentally puncture one of the barrels and they're hit with a putrid smell. And I can say from experience, I have had a human body in a barrel decomposing and that smell is... It's almost indescribable, and it's definitely unforgettable, and it is something that will make you flee immediately and come back with reinforcements. There is nothing else that smells like decomp, especially once it's been contained in a barrel. So these guys immediately, without even looking in the barrel, call the cops. Um, The cops come, and they start opening the remaining barrels. And what was inside of these barrels? Um, inside these barrels, each, oh, so they started with seven visible metal barrels that were there. And each one of these seven barrels contained a preserved body of a woman stored in wood alcohol. 
which wood alcohol is also known as methanol or methyl alcohol. And back then it was commonly referred to as wood alcohol because it was only produced through the destructive distillation of wood. So hence wood alcohol. Um, It is basically used as an antifreeze or a solvent um, as a denaturant for ethanol. Um, But it is unsuitable for drinking, unlike normal ethanol, aka alcohol that we all imbibe to have a good time or loosen up or whatever. Um, This methanol you cannot drink, and so oftentimes they add something to it, an adulterant, in order to um, give it an odor that's different from normal alcohol, drinkable alcohol, or... um, kind of warn you that it, it's it's unsafe because it's extremely lethal, even in small doses. It's very similar to embalming fluid. It actually can contain um, uh, the ratio of um, formaldehyde to, to methanol uh, varies in embalming fluid, but it's basically a part of the recipe for embalming fluid. Hence why when these barrels were opened, these women's bodies were essentially pickled. They were like um, preserved. And um, not sure why he chose this method of storage instead of just merely burying them on the property. Um, but it was, I guess, a clean way to avoid any odor, right, contained in these barrels until those barrels were opened. And once they were opened, it was terrible. So like I said, or like Miss Mayday said, that these bodies were pickled. And so their appearance was actually preserved, as was their clothing and things along those lines. Well, they decided to search the rest of the property, and they found a total of 24 barrels, 23 of which contained the bodies of women, and one barrel contained the body of a man. And they were all stored in this wood alcohol. So some of these decedents were found with ropes on their necks, and some were found with two puncture marks on their neck. And these two puncture marks, it was believed Bella used, allegedly, it was Bella, um, to drain the bodies of blood. So by doing this, he was draining the bodies of blood, then submerging them in this wood alcohol. So in a sense, he was embalming each one of his victims. So... That's also how he got the name, the Vampire of Sincota. <laughs> yeah. So he wasn't actually drinking the blood. He used the tools from his tinsmith business to actually make these puncture marks. Um, so he was not actually a vampire, as far as we know. <laughs> right. Because maybe they do exist. Who knows? And maybe Bella was one. So because uh, the housekeeper had been at this property for two full years with nobody else living there, the police thought she must have been in on it. And she was also the beneficiary of Kiss's, uh, Bella's fortune in the event of his death. By now, it is rumored that he has died in World War I, but there's no confirmation as of yet. Um But through all of her help that she gave to the police and all of her claims that she was completely innocent and had zero knowledge of what was happening, she was cleared. But she took the police on a tour of the property to everywhere that she had access to. And in this property, in Bella's room, there was a locked room. And the housekeeper did have the key to this locked room, but she said, the only rule of me being the housekeeper of the house is Bella said, I must never enter 
this one room. And she's like, he paid me well. He treated me well. I was never going to enter that room. So I didn't. So she opens it on that day for the police and they walk in and what they found was essentially proof that Bella had been at this murder spree since as early as 1903. He would write um, these love letters. So he was, uh, you know the name of it. So Bella would write these letters known as Lonely Hearts Letters. These are letters that you would write and put in the local newspapers in order to woo women to come and uh, basically propose a marriage with this woman. She would get wooed because he'd put this um, flattering information in the paper, and they would come from all over Hungary at the time to Sincota to meet him in hopes to marry him, and he was said to have been handsome and wealthy, so he was quite successful. He also kept very good documentation of these letters, and when they went into the room, they found that he had been in correspondence with over 100 women and had continuous uh, dialogue with at least 74, and he kept them in very neat, distinct piles, so that way he could keep track of what he said to each woman. And it was using these letters... Um, that aided them in being able to identify these women in these barrels. Uh, the other thing is the, like I said, the clothing was preserved. The facial structure on some was preserved. So using all of this together, the families would come to this cottage and work on identifying their loved ones. And Mayday, can you tell like the reason that they could use the clothing to identify these people? So back at this time, I don't think that they were using clothing analysis as we would today, where we would be doing fiber analysis and fiber comparison. But in this regard, they were looking at fashion itself. So they were looking at the kinds of garments that these women had brought with them. So when they were answering these Lonely Hearts ads, they would were under the impression that they were going to leave to marry a man named Hoffman. And so their family members were well aware that they were leaving for this marriage. And they would take maybe a few suitcases, but all of their outfits um, would have been recognizable as clothing that belonged to their loved ones. And so by returning to the scene, they can identify a woman um, based on the kind of clothing that she was wearing. So for many of these cases, Bella had forced the women to write home to their families, stating that they had broken up with their loved one and they were moving to America. And in the cases that Bella couldn't force the women to do it, he would write these letters themselves. So anybody that's in the question documents field would be able to do handwriting analysis and be able to determine if these letters are the products of the actual individuals that should have been writing them. So that's another reason that we they honed in on these families that had these missing loved ones of these women that stated they were moving to America and then were never heard from again. So we did figure out that one woman and the man is believed to be his estranged wife Marie and the lover that she met within their first year of marriage. Another woman in the barrel is believed to be his first wife-ish, the one that we don't know as a wife or not. Um, and that one, she was identified based on the clothing that she was wearing as well. Um, so Bella, as Mayday was saying, um, he would try and get these women's money and uh, have them disappear. So a couple of the letters 
he has swindled these women out of money, and two of them decided to bring him up on charges for taking their money. Well, miraculously, the charges got dropped when the women didn't show up for their court dates. So it's believed at least two of these women in the barrels are also those women as well. So now that the detectives have all of these barrels, all of these decedents, the letters, uh, they've got all this proof, now they have to find Bella. But remember, it's believed he may have died in World War I. So the detectives are not convinced, you know, no body, that he must not be dead. So they set off to verify that Bella has actually died. So the last official report of Bella was that he was in a military hospital in Serbia where he allegedly died of typhoid. However, we believe that he faked his own death by moving another soldier into his bed and then fleeing. Well, this kind of would have worked back in the day because if you figure, each person might have three photographs of themselves throughout their entire lifetime. So who could really verify that this decedent that died of typhoid after war in two years is the owner of this house? But the detectives were not convinced that this other body was Bella because apparently he picked a soldier that didn't look anything like him, had no resembling features. So Bella's on the run. And we only have rumors for what happened to Bella after he went on the run. So one of the rumors, which really doesn't hold water, is that he was actually the dead soldier. Um, but like I said, they were so different. The decedent was in his 20s, and by this time, Bella's in his 40s. So <laughs> that's far-fetched. Another rumor is that he died of yellow fever in Turkey. Another theory is that he was imprisoned in Romania for burglary and never released. In the 1920s, the French Foreign Legion stated that they had a soldier with, by the name of Air Hoffman, which was one of the names that Bella used in his Lonely Hearts letters, and he claimed he was great with a garrot. I think that's the name. Right. Yeah, we talked about this several times <laughs> and how we pronounce this tool. And essentially, what is a garot? Um, a garrot, the easiest way I can describe it, if you've ever seen somebody cut a gigantic wheel of cheese using a wire strung between two wooden handles, that's a garrot. And he would use that on the throats of these women, which is why some of them were found with rope around their neck. Well, this Air Hoffman in the French Foreign Legion claims he's great with a garrot, so how would he know it? So the detectives go to the place where he was stationed, but he deserted the French Foreign Legion by the time the police arrived. Then in 1932, there was a police detective in New York who claims he saw Bella Kish exiting the subway. I'm very wary of this because this is so many years after the fact. How would he have known what he looked like? His looks had to have changed by then. So this one seems as far-fetched as the fact that he was the dead soldier. But this police detective claims that he was working as a janitor. The only thing that adds merit to this one is the janitor had fled by the, t the time the police arrived. But that could also mean he was wanted for other crimes, and so he saw the police coming and he fled. So long story short, um, this is a man who got away with murdering 23 women and one man. Nobody ever saw him again. So I tried to look up and see if you could go and visit this cottage today because I'm weird like that. And the address was 9 Cusith Street in Sakota. And I cannot find any reference to that location currently to this day. So I guess we'd have to go to Budapest and find it. Don't mind if we do. 
So, Miss Ruby Wilde, going back to your introduction, what's in the barrel? Bodies. The answer is always bodies. Vintage Homicide is produced by J.H. Cabral. Additional editing and theme music produced by Matt Beck. A special thanks to Bonnie Navarro Photography and Bombshell Betty's Calendar. Please visit bombshellbettyscalendars.com for more information. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Vintage Homicide Podcast. Please subscribe wherever you prefer to download your podcasts and join us next time for more tantalizing tales of murder and mystery. 